our, our original plan was that there was a picture of me shirtless for that graphic, and uh, we, did, we did like a, just a real quick test, and somebody threw up, so then I had my, my son take a picture instead. So uh, just, just to, to bring you up to speed, but uh, no, I have, uh, I, I've told uh, many of you before, uh, I, went to, uh, I went to Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, and it is a, uh, it's a, a tiny school. I don't know how many people have ever like, worked at a tiny company or gone to a small school. Maybe, yes, some of you. Okay. Uh, if you have, you know uh, just how awkward that can be, and you know that small schools and small companies basically have a way that they do things. It's not the normal way or the best way or the way that you want to, but you're just kind of getting along and doing the best you can. And so uh, I, I went to a school that was so small, we didn't have a football team, and so they jokingly sell shirts that say Grace College football undefeated since 1948 and all, you know, just making fun of themselves basically. And uh, we didn't have, you know, because we didn't have a football team, we didn't have a normal homecoming and a lot of the traditions that a lot of schools do. And so we had a student activities board that worked very hard to make sure that we weren't just bored out of our minds in this tiny town that just had a Walmart on the weekends. And so uh, our student activities board, looking back, they did a lot of stuff with food. But uh, like one night a semester they would rent out Taco Bell and you could just go there and just gorge yourself on tacos, which is probably a terrible thing looking back also, but that's what we would do, and it was only like one kind of taco, it was like the cheapest one, you know, and they were, they were made like days in advance, and it was not good, but anyway, um, they also had a Pizza Hut night, like I said, looking back, these are all food things, I don't know what that says, but they would basically rent out Pizza Hut, and we would just go there and just go nuts, and just eat, and eat, and eat, and eat, and that's what college guys like to do, and some girls, if we're being honest, so uh, we would just go and do different things like that. Uh, another thing that my college did, just because we were uh, in such a small town, it was so boring, to be honest, they would rent out a movie theater. Uh, most most towns have like a Movies 10 or Movies 16 here, I don't know, this was like a Movies 2, it was like an old school theater. Uh, maybe some of you have been to one of those. Some of you were like, I don't even know what he's talking about. But uh, this theater had, had two screens, and so they would usually rent it out, and they would play like a, a super safe movie in the one theater, you know, like Cinderella or something that like guys would pretend they wanted to see so that a girl would like them. And like, yeah, I just really, I think the characters are awesome, you know. And then they'd play like, in the other theater, they'd play a movie that like people wanted to see. But because, uh, because this, like I said, it was a Christian school, they wanted to show stuff that was appropriate. Um, sometimes they would, you know, they'd, they'd do the best they could and they couldn't always find a movie that was actually current and, and safe. Uh, but one year they did. It wasn't, wasn't a great movie, um, but it was, it was called John Q. I don't know if anybody has seen that movie or not. Had, had Denzel Washington. Um, and so they, they showed that, and that was like the first ever movie that was, was current. We were like so pumped about it because we were so bored often. Uh, one year they showed Star Wars, you know, like 25 years too late. So um, the, fact that, the fact that this movie was like, you know, from this decade, we were like, all right, I go to a real college now. And so um, they, they showed that, I think, it was, I think it was like 2002. So um, to be completely honest, I'm going to spoil the plot of John Q for you today, but you've had like 11 years to see it, so... It's your fault, okay? If you haven't seen John Q, and honestly, you're probably not missing too much. But um, one thing that was funny about uh, showing movies uh, as a college, um, there's, there's like rules for how, how you can show a movie to a giant audience or, or how that all works with copyright and things. Uh, we actually have to have a license just to like sing the songs that we sing. They're, they're super cheap for churches actually, but, but for different organizations and schools, sometimes you have to pay thousands of dollars to show a movie. And so um, they actually found a loophole around that. They realized that uh, because they were an educational institution, if they would talk about a movie when it was over and like pretend it was like a movie club, then it was completely okay. There were like no laws against that. And so um, we would have this like normal movie night, but then at the end, like some awkward guy would have to come up and be like, 
what do you guys think that movie meant? Like, what, you know, he'd be like, I don't know. You know, and he'd be like, no, really, what did it mean? You know, and they'd ask like enough questions that the school wouldn't be sued and like talk about something. And so we would always do that. But the, the movie that we saw, I wanted to uh, kind of bring you guys up to speed. If you've never seen John Q, like I said, it's not the most popular movie in the history of time, but I, but I think it's a cool movie. And this is, this is why I think this, um, there's a guy in this movie named, named John Quincy Archibald. That's why he gets called John Q. And um, he's just your average, good, all-American dude. Drives a truck, works in a factory. Everyone loves him. And uh, in this movie, uh, he and his, his wife are at their son's baseball game. And um, early on in the movie, their, their son basically passes out. And uh, he, he's basically, um, he's down and out at this, this game. They take him to the hospital. And uh, through a series of tests and different things, um, they realize that their son needs a heart transplant. And obviously... Uh, I think everyone in here has a heart, and so you know that hearts are super important, all right? And uh, the, 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 the reason that that's a big deal, uh, right before that, a few weeks, his job has been downgraded from full-time to part-time, and so his benefits have changed. And so this dad is realizing that his son needs a surgery that he no longer can, can have because his, their medical benefits have changed, and he also realizes that they, they, they maybe can fundraise this money, and uh, so they start trying to do that, and they just cannot raise enough of the money. And so this guy's looking at his young son, who needs a heart, who honestly is, is going to die. Things are not going well. He's in the hospital, and uh, they don't have the med- medical benefits to, to pay for this. And actually, it gets so bad, uh, the hospital finally comes to him and says, listen, you don't have any money to pay for this care. And so his son is actually... Um, kicked out of the hospital, for, for lack of a better word. They say, you know, if, if you can't pay for this care, you can't pay for the surgery, there's no long-term plan here, and, and so they let him go. And so uh, those of you who are married or have ever had a girlfriend or a mom, for that matter, may understand this. Uh, this guy's wife, John Q's wife, comes to him and says, fix it, do something. You don't have to put your hand up if your wife or mother's ever said that to you, and maybe I'm going to be in trouble when I get home today. But my wife has said that to me before, where she just looks at me and says, fix it, do something. And so this, John Q's wife says that, and he, he really starts to see the, the severity of this situation, and he kind of takes matters into his own hands. And so this guy basically walks into a hospital, and, and he, he, has a, he has a handgun, uh, he, he gathers some hostages, and he basically locks the doors with some chains and, and, and shuts this hospital down. He's just decided that he's going to do something about this. And now I've, I've got your attention, because you didn't think we'd be talking about a hostage situation today, but that's where we're at, all right? So John Q shuts this emergency room down. He takes the, doc, the doctor's hostages, the, the nurse's hostage, the people that are there, people that are there to bring their family to the ER, and uh, kind of as they're, as they're in the ER, and as this movie unfolds, you get to know their story. So you get to see that... Uh, some of these people are, are there because they're injured. Some of, them, some of them are there just because they like the attention of going to the hospital. Some of them are there because they're in abusive relationships. And you get to see John's heart as he interacts with these people. This is not a guy who thought that he would be ever taking hostages in a hospital or, or shutting a place down. And yet, that's where he finds himself. And so, uh, through a series of events, he gets his son into the hospital. And uh, he realizes that he has no other choice. He's tried to work out uh, someone being an organ donor and finding another heart. And he realizes that the only way that he's going to be able to, to save his son and get him a new heart is, is to take his own life. And so he has decided that he's going to take his own life. And he's talked the doctors there into doing this surgery as soon as his heart becomes available. He's asked some of these hostages to be witnesses. And right before that happens, of course, in the, in the greatest 
movie plot ever, you know, that's how it always happens. Right before last split second, uh, they, they show a woman who, who has been in a car accident and her heart becomes available. And so they run in and, and his wife runs into this hospital. They let her in and she says, don't do it. Don't take your own life. There, there's a heart. It's, it's on the way. And so John's able to let these people go. He's able to let the hostages go. And uh, they, they, they get this heart there. They give his son this life-saving uh, operation. And right after that, he's taken into custody. The hero, John Q., is taken into custody because you can't go into a hospital with a gun and take hostages and just get away with it. In case you didn't know that, if you remember nothing else today, don't ever do that. It's a terrible idea, all right? But um, because we've got to see the backstory, because in this movie you get to see kind of where his heart is and, and what's going on, you don't want this guy to go to jail. And, and neither do the people that were in this movie and, and, and knew the story. And so uh, they vouch for his character. They go to court for him and they say he was doing this because he had to. He'd been backed into a corner. This wasn't his fault. And he's actually let off the charges of attempted murder and, and uh armed criminal action, uh, but they, they do actually get him on charges of kidnapping, and so as the movie ends, they're saying one of those things that makes you feel good, and, and it's kind of undefined. They're saying, like, oh, I'm sure the judge will be lenient, and then it, like, pans off into the sunset, and then they all high-five or something, and, and you know that it's a happy ending, and everything's great, and so that's, that's how this movie ends, and uh, like I said, as we were doing this as a cheap school that had to educationally talk about it and make it a club at the end, someone, someone came up, and he said, could you ever see yourself being in John Q's shoes, if, if you were in those shoes, what do you think you would do? And uh, part of me wanted to be like, oh, that guy is crazy. I would never do that. And then, and then everyone in the theater was kind of looking around. They were afraid to be the one that would say like, I would totally take hostages. I'm, I'm nuts, you know, because we're all in a room of people. So no one wanted to say that. And yet we, you could see people in the room kind of thinking that, like, you know what, I, I've got people in my family that I love. I've got people that, that I care about. And if, if I got, you know, backed into a certain corner in the right way, maybe, maybe I, could, I could see myself doing that. And so they were asking these questions, and, and part of us were looking at this guy as, as a crazy man. And part of us were looking at him and thinking, you know, what he did, he was, he was driven by love. He was, he was committed to his family. What he, what he did was sacrificial. He was willing to give his own life and definitely give his own freedom even in the end. And so uh, maybe, maybe he's not that, that crazy at all. And sometimes we can, we can look at people, you can look at their actions. I think sometimes people look at Christians or people who are following Christ, people who have given their lives to Jesus. I think sometimes people look at us and sometimes they think, those people are crazy. And then sometimes I think they look at us and think, those people are loving. I can see why they're doing what they're doing. I can see why they're driven by love. Or I can, I can see their motives there. And I think sometimes people look at us, they look at our own actions, the people we work with, our family, People look at our lives and they think, all right, is he crazy or is there a reason behind this? Why, why is he doing what he do? Why, why does he do that? Why is he doing what, what he's doing? What, what's, what's driving him? And oftentimes, we're driven by, by the same thing that John Q is driven by. We're driven by love, commitment, and sacrifice. There's a, a passage in the Bible I want to take us to today, and it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Whether you know it or not, there, there's a Bible under your chair right there nearby you. If you want to want to look up 2 Corinthians 5, maybe you've got it on your phone or your iPad if you're really awesome. Uh, but you can read an old school Bible too if you want to follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know that, like I said, we've been in a series called Definition. And this series is just talking through what defines the life of a Christ follower, what defines us as a new church that's taking shape, and what defines someone who has given their life to Jesus. I think this morning this passage is going to talk about how do people see us, how do we see ourselves, and what's the motivation behind the, the things that we do as we follow Christ. And so let's, let's look at this passage together. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, 
if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. Now be honest, how many of you have ever, ever looked at a, a Christian and thought, that person's kind of crazy, all right? Some of you are like, I've been a Christian my whole life and I've still thought that, all right? We've all looked at people at different times and, and this is basically, as, as Paul's writing this, he's saying, listen, I speak on behalf of Christians and, uh, you know, people that have given their lives to Jesus, people who are following him, uh, don't think that we're crazy. We're, we're doing this to bring glory to God. So if, if people are looking at him or looking at this church and, and thinking anything else, he's kind of letting this go right away. He's saying, we live our lives to bring glory to God. He goes on to say, and if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. You ever notice when you think that someone's crazy, you judge them? Like if, if you see a person just out on the street, just passing out money, you're like, what's wrong with them? And then if they're like, hey, would you like some money? You're like, I love this guy. He's awesome. And so sometimes you look at someone and you think like, okay, I don't know what they're doing. And then other times you can completely look at their motives and say, I like what's going on. So Paul's saying, listen, if you think we're crazy, if you think th these people who have, have seen their lives change, he's saying, if you think they're nuts, I want you to know the reason they're living for Christ is because they're driven by his love. And he's saying, if you don't think they're crazy, if maybe you've seen them in a good light, he's saying, I want you to know it's, it's for your benefit. Verse 14, he goes on and says, either way, Christ's love controls us. He's saying, no matter what you're seeing, these people who are living for Jesus, they're, they're not confused. They're driven by his love. That's what's controlling them. Verse 14 says, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. And so he's simply stating what you may ha hear referred to as the gospel. Paul is saying, because Jesus came and died to take away the sins of, of everyone who ever lived. He's saying that people who, who understand that, who put their hope and their trust in that, who realize that, their, their old life is disappearing. They're, they're dying to their old life. He's saying that, that sin has separated people from God. Sin has been the divide between humans and God. And he's saying as soon as Jesus gave his life, as soon as he died, that separation was closed. That, that space was closed. And so those old lives, the old self that people had, is now dead. Verse 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Basically, Paul is saying Jesus understood that all of us have, have sin in our lives. He understood that uh, maybe if you don't even realize it or not, you've probably done one or two things wrong in your life. And if you can't admit that, I'll just say that I've done enough for everyone in this room times 10, all right? But he's saying that, that we have sin in our lives. We have things in our lives that separate us from God because God is perfect and pure and holy. And so our actions, our sins separate us from God. But knowing that, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross. So that when he died on the cross, our sins were taken on by his death. And his, his death erased and wiped away all of those sins, all of those things in our lives. And he knew that when he came to earth. He knew that when he died, he would take our sins. And this says, he died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. See, when Jesus came to give his life for us, he was motivated by, by love, by commitment to us. The, the church as his, his bride. He was, he was motivated by sacrifice, by giving his life and him, himself, not because he deserved it. He was, he was perfect, and yet our sins required that something be done to close that gap to God. And so Jesus gave his life. He died so that people could know God as they were created to know God. He died so that we could have a relationship with God. 
He died so that that gap would be closed so that we could live in perfect relationship for eternity with God as we were created to do. This verse here says that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Maybe you've, you've heard, uh, you've heard the, the gift of salvation referred to as a, as a free gift. And I've heard it said that if, if I have a $100 bill up here and I want to give that to someone, I could just stand here and say, here you go, it's yours. But it's not really yours in, until you reach out and take that. And so understanding what Jesus has done for us is the same in that we have to say, I, I understand what Jesus did. I understand that he's closed the gap between myself and God. I understand that he gave his life for me and I want that to be part of my life. I want that to define my life. And so this verse says, people who, who receive that new life, who receive that gift, they will no longer live for themselves. From the outside looking in, people might think that they're crazy. People might think, why, why does that person, why are they part of that new church? Or why do they get up so early? Or why do they go to that Bible study or that movement group? Or I heard they give some of their money to, to charity. I heard they give some of their money to that church. What's wrong with them? Why, why are they doing that? Why do they let that control their life? And the reality is, when someone understands the love, commitment, and sacrifice that Jesus showed when he came and died on the cross, they're saying, I want to give my life to God. I want to give my life, and I want to I live by the same love, commitment, and sacrifice that he showed me when he died on the cross. The second half of 15 says, instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. For the first time, this town of, of Corinth, these people are coming to understand who Jesus is. They've, they've heard of him, you know, he's, he's famous, he's known, and it, it, was, it, was, it was said that he changed people's lives and they were noticing things. But for the first time, they're seeing that change different. I don't know if you guys know this, but, but Corinth was a, was a pretty bad town. And uh, sometimes it, it cracks me up when, when people say like, oh, the world's getting so bad, it's gonna end soon. You know, and I don't mean to say that, that life's great now and there's no sin in the world. But Corinth was terrible. I can't even tell you some of the things that were going on in Corinth or I'll start blushing and people will look at me weird, all right? But just trust me when I say that Corinth was a, it was a town where a lot of sailors hung out and I'm not making fun of sailors. I'm just saying there was some bad stuff in Corinth, all right? And yet Jesus is changing people's lives as they're giving their lives to him, as they're understanding that he was loving them, he was committed to them, he was sacrificial and gave his life on the cross. As they were giving their lives, to him, they were being changed and they were being transformed. And so this verse says, we used to think of this Jesus guy, you know, he's like a human and he lived on earth and we didn't really understand him. And now for the first time we're seeing people are being changed. Things are different. Verse 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. See, none of the other things that, that these people were involved in could promise that. There was a lot of sexual immorality going on in this town. There were a lot of different things. There were a lot of, a lot of money changing hands and status and titles and politics and, and jobs and all of these things. None of those things could say, hey, I'm going to make you a new person. And I don't know if you've ever tried something that you, you thought would make you happy, whether it was a new relationship or a new job or bought a new car on a whim or something, but I doubt that you thought that that car would seriously change you and make you a new person. Maybe it made you happy for a few weeks or months, maybe even a year if it was the greatest car in the history of time. But, but Jesus is saying, I can make you a new person. I can change you from the inside out. I can show you love, commitment, and sacrifice that's worth giving your life to that will change you. 
Verse 18 says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ, saying that when Jesus died, that gap between us and, and God was closing, closed. And so, this town, these people, for the first time, they're, they're seeing this transformation, and they're realizing what's been missing in their life was Jesus. What's been missing was a relationship with God because their sin separated them. And by saying, nothing I can do can remove that sin, they were, they were starting to get it. By understanding that Jesus died on the cross for their sin so that, that that sin could be removed, could be taken away. And not just that he died on the cross, but three days later that he rose again to defeat that sin, to defeat death and to close the gap between them and God, to give them a permanent relationship with God. The God that they were created to know and love, a God that would complete them. The God that they, were, they could give their life to, to, to worship, to live for, to be transformed. And when, when they did that, they were made a new creation. They were understanding this for the first time. The rest of, of verse 18 says this. Once you've made that decision, once you've understood that your life can be lived for Jesus, it says, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Just saying a lot of what we talked about last week when we rolled out the egg drop for the first time. It's our job to take that message, to take that hope, to take the gospel to the world. It's not someone else's job. It's not a, a radio station's job. It's not a Christian t-shirt's job. It's our job to take the gospel to the world. Verse 19 says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making an appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we tell the world, when we plead, come back to God. It's our job to be an ambassador to the world, to tell the world to come back to God. That kind of sounds like it'd make a really awesome church vision statement, doesn't it? All right, some people are laughing. That is our vision statement, all right? A movement of people finding their way back to God. We know that, that no one was born perfect, that no one just arrived and thought, oh, I've got life figured out, I'm transformed, I'm a new creation. Some people came to know Christ and let him transform their life and change them when they were 10. And for others, that happened at 30. And for other people, that happens at 80. But it's our job to let the world know that Jesus is the missing piece in their life. He's the one who can take away their sins and give them relationship with God. He's the one who can change them and transform them, and it's our job to tell them. See, an ambassador is, is not just what we think when we see Angelina Jolie. I think she's an ambassador to like 10 different countries. I'm not even sure how that happened, but uh, we hear ambassador and we think that often. An ambassador is someone who represents the message and, and the homeland, and they represent uh, their people. They represent a culture that they know. And so sometimes people are going to look at us and they're going to think, those, those people are crazy. Why do they live like that? Why do they do that? Just like people looked at John Q and said, hey, crazy guy's taking hostages. And yet, from another angle, you could say he was motivated by love, by commitment, by sacrifice. From another angle, you could look at, at him and say, I see what he's doing. It's our job to let the world know, listen, there are people who, who claim the name of Christ and they give us a bad name, but we're loving, we're committed we're sacrificial, we're new creations, and we're transformed by Jesus. It's our job to let the world see Jesus in us that way. Last verse of this says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I'm going to read that again. It says, For God 
made Christ, made Jesus, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sin. Basically, to, to pay the price for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Just like our vision statement says, so that we could find our way back to God. I'm going to invite the, the band back up. We'll talk uh, in a few minutes here, but I want us to just think about that and, and to worship and, and, and celebrate that for a second. Not because, not because we deserved it, but God sent Christ. Not because we were, we were awesome and, and we were worth it, or because we only had one sin and it would be super easy, but God still sent Christ. Not because our lives were easy to change, or not because we were loving or committed or sacrificial toward God, but he sent Christ anyway to pay the price for our sins, to change our lives so that we could know God and that we could live for him. And some of us are thinking, but there's too much junk in my life. There's, there's things that have gone on. You don't even know my past. You don't even know. And I, I think I did this before, but I never felt a change. Things are never different. The reason that our vision statement reads the way that it does is because we believe that, that everyone's journey is different. We believe that people find their way back to God uh, lots of different timelines, but the, the common link, the common window is Jesus and his sacrifice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little more about that in a second. I want you to think about that. Has, has that sacrifice, has, has Jesus' death on the cross taken hold in your life? Has it changed you? Has it transformed you? Do you feel that you know God because you've accepted the free gift of Jesus? Maybe, maybe you can't say that you do. But God is able to change you. God has changed many of us. He's made us new creations. And so let's celebrate that. Let's sing to him. Let's worship him. Let's celebrate that he's, he's calling us back to himself. You guys pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you just for the chance to look in your word. Lord, thank you that that you make us new. Lord, you make all things new. And as we, as we sing this song, God, help us to, Lord, if we're in a place where we're crying out for the first time and saying, Lord, make me new, help us to do that. If we're in a place where we haven't felt like a new creation, Lord, help us to, uh, to sing to you and, and ask you to, uh, to put us back on the right track. God, help us to celebrate that you make things new this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen.